All right, so welcome back. We have Nikolai Ray on the show. Hey, Nikolai, how you doing? Hey, Jason, how's it going? It's been a while, which has been an awesome while. I've been so excited to see everything you're doing, all the things and everything, just and just even us talking offline about it, but everything happening and you're still just really going out there and doing so many things and it's just been fun to watch. And so, you know, for... Those who did not listen, we had a tremendous episode. I mean, it's been a couple hundred episodes since then, but a little backstory on Nikolai is he's the CEO of MREX, which is Multifamily Real Estate Exchange. He's considered by many of his peers as one of North America's leading experts in apartment investing with over $1 billion in analysis, underwriting, and transactions. A pioneer in mid-cap multifamily financial engineering is often called upon as a teacher, advisor, and keynote speaker. He's also a real estate tech innovator through his current work in multifamily real state, big data, artificial intelligence, and property tokenization using blockchain technology, which are some of the narrative I definitely want to focus on today. But, you know, thanks for jumping back in with us. And, you know, I remember from our last conversation, you said that when you would find yourself as a kid, uh, that maybe you would, you would get yourself in trouble or just do something that was a little out of line, right? Your, your dad would, would, would sit you down and have you write about that a bit, right? And so when we think back and reflect on, on that today with, with so many things changing, right? Where our business plans, maybe even over the course of just two years ago, ha- have, have altered, right? How yeah. have you now taken the moment to reassess where it's not something that you were doing wrong before, however, the narrative of this had to, had to change, just to face the, the different course that we could potentially go on today? Well, I think one thing that, that comes to mind is just the, the, the importance of continuing to do that and reflecting upon how we're advancing and working and trying to keep a flexibility mindset towards that. Like, you know, a couple of things come quickly to mind. Number one, obviously in my, in my um, educational business, so the MREX College, which is the ed- educational institute or arm of our tech company, what we do is essentially we teach real estate financial engineering and underwriting and modeling to, you know, everyday real estate investors and syndicators. And that's gone entirely, well, not entirely, but probably about 80, 90% online since the beginning of COVID, just because we had to, right? And yeah, and it, it's been a really a great thing because we, we were already preparing that, but it was a very tough decision initially uh, prior to COVID to transition from classrooms to virtual classrooms Because, you know, hey, when you have a good thing, you don't want to break it, right? And when people are happy, you don't want to break it. So COVID kind of gave us the the opportunity to go all in and what I had initially seen as a very cool opportunity, which is to be able to, you know, go virtual, which, you know, overnight, well, instead of you having to come to Montreal and come to a classroom with me or to Miami, well, now I can teach to pretty much everyone and anyone online and you might even miss the class and you can just, you know, watch it on your own time. So that's, that's opened up a lot of opportunities. And that's, that's been a very good thing. I think on the investing front, because I think since we last spoke, I don't know if I'd start, did we, did I start buying properties myself? I'm not sure. You were on the cusp of, of thinking about it as the forefront of, of opportunities coming on board. <laughs> so right? so I, I went all in on that as well. So I think we must have spoken probably mid 2019 or something like that, early 2019. Um, in October 2019, I bought my first property. So that's you know just over two years from now, and I've purchased 40 apartment buildings since then. Yeah, in a very very short time span. So so that's another opportunity, and and that has forced the same kind of reflection because. Um, 
what I do is I buy apartment buildings and I'm a value add investor and, a, and an opportunistic investor. So I'll buy older apartment buildings that I'm going to pretty much strip and, and, and rebuild from inside. And then I'll buy a lot of stuff that is just, you know, it's not the optimal use of the land. So let's say I'll buy a warehouse that maybe was a two story, 4,000 square foot warehouse, but that I think I can rezone that and get entitlement to build maybe 50 units on that, you know, which would essentially quadruple the value of the land and the acquisition, right? Without really investing any money, except for, you know, maybe a bit of architect work and stuff like that. So that's the type of investment that I do because that's that's the way for me to to apply all the knowledge I have in a very extreme way. And I like doing things that are not, not necessarily easy, which mm-hmm. which I know you appreciate because you like that, you like that philosophy too, that that kind of go hard 75 hard philosophy and but that's really made me uh, change the way that we've done things because you know we do heavy 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 lifting you know we'll do i'll buy a seven unit apartment building and i'll put a 1.3 million dollars in renovations into that you know so it's it's very heavy lifting it's hard work and what that's made us do is just be much more cognizant of the way that we're managing our cash flows of the people we decide to work and also how we vertically integrate. So what we've decided to do is actually, instead of hire general contractors and outside property managers, we've made, and and that was a tough decision because uh, you have to, when you vertically integrate, well, then that all kind of comes under your roof, the whole cash flow management of it, the HR. So what we've done is we've become our own property management company and our own general contractor on top of being the investor so on top of now buying 40 properties in two years, we've gone from essentially, you know, one to two employees to, you know, last week we were, we were at 25 full-time. Now we're at 32, you know, within a month, we'll be at probably 40, 42 full-time employees. And that just kind of changes the whole aspect of things. Cause it's not even just, it's not even just real estate investing anymore. It's, it's business building, right? You know, you're in that space, which is which is so um, interesting because a lot of the project I've seen, right? So Quebec, it's it's a different price point, right? A different price point model, and especially when you're putting so much into capex and these renovations from a property management side, you're in that spot where a lot of the buildings that I've seen online are, you know, eight units, ten units, twelve units, yep. right? And the thing about that is, it's very difficult to find a management team, a property management team that's that's qualified in the fact because typically it's it's too small for the bigger property management companies and the single family companies that are trying to adjust to that level they're not ready, right? They, they don't have the systems in place. They're kind of winging it, right? So when you're forced, just like you see, like you talked to the business, to the education business, when you're forced into the element here, where or you're forced to go online, right? And accelerate a lot of businesses that probably still want to do this for eight to 10 years. You see yourself find the gaps, right? And using that. So property management, it makes complete sense, right? Because you can now do it better and you're going to care about it. And it needs more handholding than if it was just a, you know, occupied building that maybe the tenants weren't, you know, the collections were down, right? As you're looking at these renovations, especially starting since 2019, you jump right into really, not really starting, but entertaining all these projects going into 2019. You've basically done this in times where the market narratives have changed so much and continue to change. How are you protecting yourself going forward or putting up, protecting yourself is, a, is an odd word, but putting yourself in the best position where these renovation packages may take 6, 12, 18 months in times when there's so many um, macro and micro factors that that we're exposed to i'd say that the two major the two major risks in 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 being such an active heavy lifting investor is 
we, you know, we got hit by COVID. So up here, I'm, I'm near Montreal. Um, I, I usually spend time in Montreal and in the US, but I'm mostly Montreal because of COVID. Uh, I'm in Sherbrooke, which is, Sherbrooke is about an hour south of Montreal. It's 20 minutes from the Vermont border. Think of it as like a Jacksonville in Florida, right? So it's a secondary market, a lot of schools, or maybe even a Tallahassee, uh, secondary market, a lot of schools, universities, colleges, stuff like that. Dy- dynamic, you know, business environment, but it's not a huge market. But, you know, what's happened essentially is the, the risk hasn't been, well, this project is going to take six to 12 months. What's it going to look like coming out of that tunnel? Like, are we going to be able to rent this out? Or, you know, what are rents going to be? What's the demand going to be? The, the real problem has been the project was supposed to take six months. Now it's taken 12. The project was supposed to cost 1 million. Now it's 1.3 and a half. So there's been essentially a doubling of the time it takes to complete a project and construction costs have gone up about 30 to 40% because of material, material costs themselves were at about 30%, right? Lumber and stuff like that. And now they've gone back down and they're going back up, but essentially, you know, it, it, it's costing us about 30% more to build that or, or renovate than it did, you know, prior to COVID and add that onto the lack of, of people working and everyone's building. So it's hard to actually get people to come and work on your properties. So that comes with a cost as well, right? Cause you know, that, you know, the plumber that was, you know, maybe 70 bucks an hour. Well, now you got to pay him 80 cause he's so busy and he has that power to leverage you on price. Otherwise, you know, well, it's not going to take you eight months to build. It's going to take you 16. And then that costs a lot of money because you're on, hard money loans, bridge loans, construction loans, mes financing and stuff like that. So that's really been the, the, the major challenges. And that's why, you know, if, if you get into that space right now, it's, it's, it's a big boy and big girl world. You yeah. have to know what you're doing. And that's why we took, we made the decision to vertically integrate, to be able to control a bit more of the chaos and the quality within that. Because when you build or renovate, I like to see it as like a, a pyramid, you know, there's, you, you, you can focus on three things and you can't always focus on the three in the same way. There's respecting costs. So if you budgeted a million, you know, you, you're going to hit that million. There's respecting the timeline and then there's respecting quality. Hmm. And it's Good hard point. to always hit all three all the time. So at, at one point it's like, well, which two do we really want to focus on? Where can we put that focus on? And if at the moment, you know, we're having trouble with the costs, well, then let's focus on the timelines and on the quality. And, you know, then it's also a decision, do I think the market can make up for the costs? And so far, the market has made up because we've seen as rents have inflated both in the US and Canada, and vacancy is still very, very, you know, you know, uh, vacancy rates are so high, you know, they're, they're, there's people lining up essentially to rent out apartments. So I'd say that's that's how we've, we've looked at those problems and that's what, that's what those problems have essentially translated themselves into. Yeah. And that's part of it just being so actively involved. Cause you can imagine like all right. the different people you bring in there, you, you know, I'm constantly looking at controllable and non-controllable, right? And there's going to be a lot of things in, in my process that I can control and I want to set the narrative that I can control as much as possible. Right. And so right. continuing, I, I see it's not to set it and forget it. And so many times you see people just buy something and think it's right. set it and forget it. However, which would happen last month is not going to happen this month. And you may see that, you know, hopefully looking at the narrative, you know, leasing continues to remain bullish, which, which the trend says it will, 
right? However, at least in, in some context, however, in terms of controlling the narrative, right? Just like you said, where if people go back into lockdown or people go to these weird things that starts to become these outside factors, it sets it. So when you can have the vertical integration where you can look at these parts and say, okay, well, you know, right now, the, the, the project budget's out the window so we can look at speed as the element to push us through. Okay, cool. How can we do that internally instead of being reliant? You know, we're in a project right. here, we're repositioning um, a motel into short-term rental. We need the electrician. He's the first piece that has to happen, right? And right. we can plug in it and it was literally like, but we don't have an electrician on staff, right? It's like, hey dude, I'm going somewhere else tomorrow unless you give me quote today, start Monday. Like you just have to get pushed in there because you're, you're at that point here where they're so busy, right? And then that's, that pushes you off because everything starts costing more. But then things start happening in supply chain issues that are completely outside anything happening. Like, you know, I can't remember a time that I've ever seen us be like short on paint, right? And then all of a sudden we're coming into like unit turns and we're short on paint. It's like, what? You know, just something completely outside the box I hadn't seen in the market. And you're just, you don't think ahead of that, but now, okay, it's on the, on the list, right? Now, now, what do we have to do? If we're going to go on onto a point, how can we control that bulk ordering or other pieces, right? But then that messes up with your cash flows because now you're putting a lot more cash up front right. than potentially you plan to do because it wouldn't have been necessary six or 12 months ago. So- And that, and that to answer your question even more directly, because I think I, I ended up skating around that question. The, the, the answer to that is, well- uh, I bought 40 apartment buildings instead of 65 and I hired Got 40 it. employees instead of four. Like that's, that's the answer to that. Really? Did I yeah. want to have all these employees in this organization? No, I didn't set out to have that. And that I'm, I'm definitely not the type of entrepreneur. I've been in business for 50, for 15 years now. And I've had, you know, I've built big companies and I've seen what it is to have a lot of employees. And that's something I had said to myself, yeah, I'm not going to go back down that route. I'm going to try and build, that's why I started a tech company and an online learning company because I didn't want to have too many employees. And here I am once again, scaling this up employee-wise. Well, that's in response to the situation that we're living through. And uh, I probably would have bought, you know, twice as many apartment buildings that I did. Yeah. Even though, you know, what we purchased is impressive, we could have bought more. And there are a lot of opportunities that we had to say no to just because, well, you know, it becomes a cash flow factor of where I have the money to buy those apartment buildings, but I can see what's going on cash flow wise, you know, delay wise, uh, budget wise. Well, you know, when does that end? I don't know. Well, let's keep some dry powder for that in case it doesn't end as quickly as we think it does, which has essentially happened. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of opportunities that I, that we could have acquired and that I, you know, I drive by them like, damn, I went, you know, I had that one. We had that. That would have been such a great project. But then it's like, well, if we bought that, well, we, you know, we would have, you know, put in peril the other projects. Yeah. So, you know, success is a lot of times is also about saying no. And it's a hard thing to do because as entrepreneurs and investors, we're not really wired to say no. Like everything that mm -hmm. we've achieved has been because we've said yes. Right. So, and found a way to where, getting into that more of a risk management mindset. And, you know, this is something that I teach in real estate financial engineering is, is, you know, that risk management is so essential. There can be periods where, yeah, you're, 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 you know, you're risking it and you're saying yes. And especially when your net worth is not very high and you're trying to kind of build up that baseline kind of, you know, foundation of wealth that then you can build up upon. But once you've done that, well, you know, it, it, you have to think much more about risk and manage it much more 
uh, maturely than say a beginning investor? You know, it's, I, I call it the what if scenario. And typically as entrepreneurs, like the what if becomes, what if I do this, look at all the potential it could have, right? And the other side of it, most people never get started or get outside their comfort zone because they say, well, what if I do this? And all of a sudden everybody doesn't like me and, or something yeah. bad goes yep. happens, right? But as an, as an investor, as you were talking, as you, as you grow, the what if scenario is not, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm still going to do it, but I have to look at what are, what are the potential risks that, that sets me aside, right? So yes, you could have brought these other complexes here, but, but just, the, the capital you would have at layout or just the, the limited resources that it may put you in or the longer gap that currently we're not in that puts there exposes you to a risk there that you now would open yourself up to across many platforms, right? By, by taking that extra point that potentially could have paid off, but, but there, what, there's, that op, there's that opportunity that it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't take the path. That, that we we always in our mind thinks it can think it can right? right and it's like that blessing that yeah it can but having the wherewithal to say okay is it the right project for us right now no so and that that's a hard line but when you can do that it, it helps you get to the next 10 buildings instead of being stuck in the one that actually kept you where you were absolutely Hey, so now as you're continuing to renovate these projects and just doing so many big developments here, how are you integrating the, the AI, the, the tokenization, the, the data, right? To whether it be on the, the efficiency of the process, or I'm, I'm even curious on the tenant side, or where how are you making the easy button where it can be beneficial to them, where you're able to maximize the value on that side? Well, I think, you know, AI was, was, AI is very, very uh, in vogue right now and, and, and data, obviously. And, you know, I've been working for about four, I guess, five years now on, on our technology startup in the, in the, in the data space and the AI space. But I think as, that's really interesting stuff for market analytics and kind of trying to predict and, and whatnot and forecast and, I think the major thing as a real estate investor and developer doing what I'm doing is not necessarily that technology or, or the, that treatment of data, right? Because AI is essentially a way to treat data, right? And process it and, and then try to understand it. But I think the most important thing is operational wise is the communication of data. And that's where, uh, in my investment business, we've really put a lot of focus into that using various platforms. And, and you know, you don't have to invent, invent everything from scratch. You know, we took, a, I don't know if you've ever heard of Monday. There's a Monday, Asana, yeah. Reich, right? These are all kind of, I guess you can call them ERPs, light version ERPs or, or, or OSs, right? Operating systems. So what we did is we essentially took a Monday, and then we, we, we hired a developer to custom kind of custom built over Monday so that our construction division and the accounting division and the acquisition finance division and the property management division so that everything's integrated and the data is moving between everyone and everyone's communicating. And that's probably where we've invested the most time and money data-wise, much more than just trying to kind of read the market and see where rents are going and this, this and that. I mean, obviously that's my initial, that's, that's what I do in life is, is essentially analyzing markets, right. And underwriting properties. So that that's already given, but we've put much more emphasis on the, how can we make our organization much more efficient data wise? Because as, as you're buying all these properties, 
renovating these properties, redeveloping properties, refinancing, you know, you're managing various, uh, various capital stacks. And then you're on top of that, you're managing the properties and constructing and building. Well, then, you know, that that's where you can really, I think that's where the, the level of success resides. And that's probably the hardest thing why a lot of people don't, a lot of investors don't want to scale to this level because it's, it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of process and thinking and, and, and architecture. And you have to be able to take time aside from everything that's going on, which is not an easy thing to do, right? Because there's always fires to put out. But you have to be able to take time aside from that and say, okay, look, can't put out fires today because we have to actually plan and, and, and create the architecture so that we have less fires, you know, in a month or in two months. You know, I was thinking about the onboarding when you're talking about even going from like 35 to 42 employees, right? There's that gap here where you need to bring them on in an efficient way. You can't be like, hey, you know, just come kind of hang out with me and you'll figure it out, right? Because well, like then, this- then your property manager, right, will, will rent out a unit and it's all happy. Yeah, I rented out that unit, you know, 1150 a month. And, and then your portfolio manager is like, you rented that out at 1150 a month? Like, I'm supposed to be refinancing the pro- us out of that property and the construction costs went up 30%. The 1150 yeah. was based on the initial construction costs. And then you're screwed because you're like, how are we going to refinance out of this property now, right? Hmm. So that's where that, that intersection of knowledge and data becomes so important. And same thing with your project managers on the construction side, you know, where they're making decisions on the day-to-day of, okay, how do we react now to this? Well, if they're not talking to the portfolio manager, who's not talking also to the to, to the property manager, if they're not all three of them talking, and I'm not on top overarching with the big picture of what we're trying to do, well, then yeah. you know one mistake leads to another, and that can be really fatal, especially in this type of fast-moving environment where you know costs are up, rents are up, uh, you know time, you know labor is not available because you can make up for some of this stuff. But if the data is not being communicated properly, well, you'll miss the occasion or the opportunity to make up for, say, those increased costs in building. You know, I've seen my failure in that stance too, is that when you you directly are entrepreneurial driven, is that you're, you're leading the charge and sometimes you forget to empower the others below you, right? Because right, it's all in your head. You, you know all that stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And then you're waiting to, they're waiting for that next answer. And however, so they're not overlapping to themselves here. And so when right. you can create that parallel where they can all keep within communication, where it doesn't become the, the make or break with the bottleneck of you, it allows the dynamic of the organization to grow. Because just like anything, like they find empowerment within themselves when they're given the role and the responsibility to go out there, right? And I think the, the fear gets in our minds as, as owner operators is that, oh, well, if I put this on this, something will be done, yeah, you know, incorrectly. Okay, so maybe right. it was at least or it won't be as lesson. good as what, how I exactly, do it, right? yeah, yeah. But the lesson will be learned at least for them to grow to, and 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 we can put them in in a in a position here where the funnel keeps them from making a huge, massive, massive failure. But that failure is sometimes needed within the organization, so you know. Ultimately, just like that point here, if, if a unit was rented at 1150 and you really based on construction costs, maybe it had to go up to you know 1400 to, to hit the mark now with the refinance or whatever the narrative was there, then how do we get in front of this next time? So the, the information is not um, not missed to be translated to the team. Right. Right. And, and that's it. And that, that's a hard piece for us to discover. And just like a lot with my journey, when I think about it, I don't know always know. 
the, the, the question until I need the question, right? And then, and so it's just like, oh, well, now I got to figure out that question. But that question opens up all the answers I need because before I had no idea it was even on the table. Right. And oftentimes you had no idea it was on the table, but then when it gets on the table, you're like, why didn't I think about that? Like mm-hmm. I should have been able to think about that one, right? And I think that also comes back to the fact that a lot of, you know, self-starters and, and, and investors and entrepreneurs, you know, are used to being doers, right? But leading teams and building organizations and processes and systems is not about doing. It's in fact the opposite, right? It's about not doing, which is a very tough thing for people like us. And I'm, I'm the first one. Like, I don't consider myself a, a good manager whatsoever. And, you know, I've, I've partnered with other people that are better managers than myself. And I'm, I'm always constantly trying to be a better manager. I've been trying for the last 15 years. I've become a better manager, but still, I know my weaknesses. I know my strengths. I know my inclinations. I'm a visionary. I'm a doer. And, but still, that, that's why it's a very hard thing to do. And that's why I believe so much in partnerships. And I don't believe in being a one-man show or a one-woman show because, you know, there's, I, I'm of the school where I think you should focus on your, your inherent strengths and uh, inclinations and not focus too much on your weaknesses and try and find people who, who their strengths are your weaknesses and, and then you can build true assets that way. You know, it's so interesting to, to talk on that level because you do feel like it constantly aligns and starts and stops with you, right? And when you think like that, okay, sure, most most assume when they're not in the position that, oh, I'm, I'm going to get more of the, the pie, but okay, sure, maybe on one, but that one is going to limit you from the 40 that you've done, and right? Is it worth it? Like, it, is the headache yeah. and the anxiety and the stress and the risk is it really worth it? I think that's where people have trouble with that opportunity cost, right? Yeah. And now I, I do want to bookmark that because I do want to make sure with your time I'm being uh, considerate, but I also want to <clears throat> ask about blockchain in a way that I'm thinking about it. And I've been really curious is that you're, you're seeing so much happen in a very quick time, right? And a lot of this, yeah. again, was, was forced... It, the, the hand was there, but it's become more prevalent because a lot of people have now dived into space, maybe with more time or whatever. Um, do you have any thoughts on how, how the lending environment is going to change with, of course, the ability to, to one, and it could be on investment side or lending side, but, but in one tokenizing property and, and the other side of it, just you know, creating some kind of automatic moneymaker from a lending side of it. Do you have any, any idea or any, any context of, of what could be possible? Well, I, I think we're still very early. And I, I was very excited about blockchain in 2016, right? I, I was already starting to work on blockchain technology for real estate, you know, tokenization of properties and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of, a lot of potential on the equity side, uh, on the debt side as well, to make just the systems a bit more efficient. But I think it's a smaller problem because I don't think debt is that inefficient as it is per, presently for like multifamily investors, I think it's, it's quite, it, it, it's not efficient, but it's quite efficient. I think where the inefficiencies lie mostly is in the equity side of things and the transacting side of things. It's, yeah. it's still very kind of analog how we transact properties and how we, how we uh, invest in properties, how we invest equity. So I think that's where the opportunity probably is the biggest and that's where the change is going to happen but I still think we're quite early, you know, and that's why I kind of put that on the back burner. I stopped putting so much energy into blockchain, you know, probably just about after we spoke last in, in early 2019, 
because kind of like VR and AR, I think we're still probably five to 10 years away from, from getting anything close to, you know, a beginning of maturity or mass adoption. And now, you know, I think blockchain is still kind of trying to find its legs now, you know, with all the whole virtual mm-hmm. real estate thing, the NFTs and, and that space, it's interesting stuff. And I think there's a lot of use cases that are interesting, but I think we're, I think we're still quite far away from that. So I'm not as excited. I, I, no, I don't want to sound as I'm not as excited. I am. And I'm ve- very bullish on the technology and I'm still investing into it. I just think that like a lot of things, it's a question of timing. And we're still in that novelty phase, right? We're still in that novelty phase. You can see it with the virtual real estate. It's, you know, people are, people have made helicopter money off, you know, the various cryptos. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, they're looking for more tangible ways to invest that, those Fugazi winnings. And now they're putting into, you know, virtual real estate. Is is that going to, I think probably 90% of NFTs are going to end up being junk. But you know, like 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 the internet and like social media, there will there will be that ten percent of NFTs and blockchain projects and tokenization that will end up you know working. Are 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 they the ones that are currently out there right now? Who knows? You know, Yahoo was the the leading search engine you know way before Google, and I, I can even remember a time where uh, we were on America Online, right? AOL dial up, right? Yep. <laughs> I what remember. happened to AOL? What happened to them? You know, <laughs> so that's it, kind of the way that I'm, I'm viewing it. I'm, 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 I'm passively very in, interested and enthused, but I think we're still quite a way up. Yeah, I think speed of liquidity is going to be interesting to watch. I, I, I was actually reading on something where it, it was a, a lender who's now lending on virtual real estate. And I was like, right. that is just a dangerous, dangerous path right there in terms of, in terms of how it can go on right there. But I'm just curious to that narrative, because you think about it, it's just, it's so interesting. Like if I own a property like in cash and I've like, I've had it for like 50 years and I want to go like refinance it, I have to go get title insurance. Right. It's like, you know, but if it was on the blockchain, I could just like avoid this, this narrative, right. Or something to that part. It just, there's just a lot of things that like I could be, you know, I could text like a friend in like Japan, like at the, 12 at night, like a picture, but I, you know, I, I can't send money. I can't send a wire. It's going to take days in that part until I'm in, within business banking. So you think about some of the things that may evolve, maybe the speed will come up, but I, I do agree. You have to look at your business plan and say, okay, my time on educating the masses right now is going to take away from my current business plan right. of where they understand the process because the process is here and it's going to allow me to help as many people as possible with this business plan instead of trying to educate others for what could potentially become viable, but still, it's still too early to be seen. Hey, most people don't even know how to buy a Bitcoin yet. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yep. we're still quite a way off from, from blockchain and NFTs and, and, and crypto from being mainstream. <laughs> you know, Nikolai, I, I love talking every time because you, you give me so many, so many jump off points and so many things to think about even, even going forward as we are extending our business. So thank you again for coming on the show. Um, for everyone that, at, of course, uh, would love to hear more about you, uh, of course, your program, what's the best way to connect? Best way to connect, I'd say, is either LinkedIn, Facebook, Facebook, uh, I'm a bit less uh, present on Instagram and TikTok, but I try to be there. And uh, recently I've decided to kind of go a bit more into YouTube. I, I'm such a big YouTube nice. fan that I've actually started my own channel, Nikolai Ray. And I've started a vlog called Alpha Investor where essentially, you know, I have a, a videographer just following me, follow me around my day-to-day of, of, of real estate investing. So that's uh, those are pretty cool ways to follow me personally. Otherwise, MREX, 
Uh, Emrex College uh, is is more and more present in the English world in the U.S. and also in English Canada because we're a very well-established in- institution in the French-speaking part of, of, of Canada. You know, we have over a thousand investors come through our doors every virtual doors every year. So uh, we're more and more present in the English side of things now. So those are the best ways Beautiful. to find. I'd say. Good. I'm psyched to hear it. I actually looked a few years. It was only offered in French. I was like, oh man, I was like, how many, how many get, how many get past this gap? And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't have a, a solution or time for this right now. So, but in that part, oh, that's cool to know. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, if you're listening, make sure to go out and check what, what Nikolai's been out there. The, the pieces are just, they're really thought out. They really give you a good thought points, good launch points for you to think about you and, and constantly reassessing your business and just how to look at it going forward. And you, that's part of the process. You have to, what worked in the past, just like you said, Yahoo AOL, right, does not necessarily garner future success, right? And so, Nikolai, again, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Super appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a, a lot of fun.